Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of planning a celebration before, planning an event, maybe it's a birthday party or an anniversary or something like that, and, and you put all this time and effort into work, into working this plan, and you, all you really want for that plan is for it to probably be fun, but most importantly, I don't know about you, and maybe it's my old age these days, but I want it to be memorable. I'm all about creating memories in life, and so you just want to create something that's memorable. I know, I think it was a couple of summers ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to take a little vacation with some friends of ours. It was our 25th wedding anniversary. I had planned for that anniversary for a year. For a year. I mean, I blew it the first time. Uh, I didn't even ask her to marry me. I just, her mom said, when are you going to make this right? I said, all right, plan a wedding. You know, like, let's get it done. So we got married. I blew it. So on our 25th anniversary, I had thoughts in my head, I'm not joking, for years about what we were going to do. I mean, in some days it was if you make it to those years, right? And so if we ever make it to 25... We're going to do something special. And, and, you know, we did something special. We were so, we were so blessed. It was such a great time. And uh, truly, I felt like it was like the pinnacle of all of our anniversaries. It, it made up, in my opinion, and I believe my wife would agree for how I blew it in the beginning. And, and the hard thing, I don't know if you've been like this before, with planning an event or a celebration, your birthday or, or whatever it might be, anniversary, that sometimes you do so well in creating the memory and having fun with it that you don't ever want to do that again, right? And it's not because probably the work that you put into it, but it's because it went off so well. Like, how are we ever going to top this? How am I ever going to outdo this? And, and so it creates this stress inside of us sometimes. It creates these feelings that we have because we base our feelings on people's expectations and their opinions and a, a desired outcome. And really what happens if we're not careful is it robs the life out of that moment. And I want to tell you this morning, this isn't poor Corey, but that's how I feel most Easter Sundays. I really feel like, what do we do next? Every year, I try to think of something fun and creative and memorable. We've built teams around Easter. We've poured hours into Easter services. The very first Easter I ever preached in this church 16 years ago, I had a great big cave built by a family in our church, and it had a rollaway stone, and we built up to this moment, and we kicked the rock away, and there was just this excitement and fun. And then ever since that first Easter Sunday, it's like, what's next? What are we going to do next? And there's this pressure and this stress. And if you've been here for uh, very long at all, you'll realize, I mean, we have done Easter giveaways. We have had times where we've created music videos, that we've had a short film based on the evidence of the resurrection, that we've done Easter pictures, and we've served breakfast, and we've done all of these things. And every year I feel this stress about what can we do next? What can we do next? What can we do next? And I want to tell you, it's not like I'm looking for a big show on Easter, but I want to also say, in what I'm saying, I'm not opposed to making a show out of Easter. 
Because the truth is, God the Father made a show out of Easter. Like, if you really read the scriptures, you'll see he did everything he could to make, let the people know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the grave. You know it says, like, the earth shook, right? The mountains quaked. The skies went black. Everything that life was centered around, the temple and the holy of holies, the curtain was ripped Huge, gigantic curtain. If that wasn't enough, it says that dead people were walking around. They were no longer dead. Like, God the Father made a show in resurrecting his son. There, I mean, you just read the story, and you like, he tried to let people know, look at what I just did for humanity. So I'm not knocking making a show out of Easter and Jesus being resurrected from the grave, but really when it all comes down to it, I stress out about a couple of simple things. All I really want is for people to remember, to create a memory around this this day that we celebrate Jesus rising from the grave, to, to have fun, to be impacted by the gospel, to see lives changed. I'm going to tell you that this year was no different. I had people asking, what are we going to do for Easter? What are we going to do for Easter? It's a little late to start planning. We need to get something going for Easter. And the whole time I was like stressed inside, but I just really didn't. Like, can we just have service, normal like, I've had people asking me, even up to yesterday, are we having just one service tomorrow? Are we having two? No, just normal church, man. Let's just normal, right? And, and how I got to that was we showed this movie a couple of weeks ago. And this movie that we thought was going to be this grand, funny movie that they showed all the funny stuff in the highlights of the movie, the trailer of the movie. And so it was over and supposed to be in Coeur Lane. We were blessed to get it at our church, and, you know, a few people showed up to watch that movie. I came here, I watched that movie called Church People, and it was life-changing for me. Life-changing. And, and some of you, if you were at that movie, you think, Corey has got to be crazy because that was dumb. And I'm telling you, I'll stand here and tell you, that was a dumb movie. It was dumb. I don't, I don't know that I really, the only time I laughed is when I could hear Ed laughing over everybody else. Like, that was, that was it. It was dumb. But it was life-changing because of the premise of the movie. They asked the question, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ enough? Is it enough? And I know it sounds like a simple question and potentially a simple answer, but is it? Is it enough? Like, I get stressed out every single year over this. Is it enough? And some of you might be thinking, Corey, why do you get so stressed out? Like, that's a ridiculous thing for you to get stressed out about, and I don't blame you for thinking that because it's true. But it's a lot easier to look at Pastor Corey and think, you know what, look at the situation and, and the silliness of it all. But I want to ask you something this morning. Look beyond Easter Sunday. Because really, shouldn't the resurrection affect our joy? Affect our creativity? Affect our ability to create memories and our lives in general more than just once a year on a special holiday? In your day-to-day, 
in your moment by moment, your life on this earth, is the resurrection enough? Is it? Is the story enough? Is God's word about it enough? Is his promises enough? Is it enough to grab your attention? Is it enough to move you forward? Is it enough to transform your tomorrow? Is it enough? And this morning, what I want to do is take a look at how the resurrection impacted the first followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 23, verses 55 and 56, and we're going to go into chapter 24 through verse 12. If not, of course, it'll be on the overhead. Luke, Dr. Luke's story of the resurrection. He writes these words. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb. Now, why were they following Joseph? Because, just in case you're not usually in church, uh, they followed Joseph because Joseph was the owner of the tomb. Not that they were not followers of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They followed Joseph. They saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Good little Christians. 24-1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still alive with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and to the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Everybody say nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering, wondering to himself what had happened. Is it enough? I have four questions for you this morning that are meant to help you answer the big question. And the first question is this. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? It says in verse 5, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men, the angels, had said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Everybody say living. Now, I don't know if you're going to realize the silliness of the question that's being asked, the silliness of the whole situation in general. But from the angel's standpoint, from their point of view, the thinking that led to the decision, that led to the action of showing up at the grave made no sense to the angels. It was nonsense to the angels. Why in the world are you here 
looking for the living. From a, a supernatural point of view, it didn't make sense. And I'm sure the women in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, they would agree, wow, it kind of was silly to be looking for the living amongst the dead. And most of us sitting here this morning can look back 2,000 years and we can think, yeah, that was pretty much nonsense. Why in the world would you go there to look for the living amongst the dead? Because it is not normal. I want to tell you this morning, you may not realize this, it's not normal to look for the living amongst the dead. Because if somebody is alive, they are not meant to be there. I mean, unless somebody's lost in a cemetery, I would guess that it is not an everyday occurrence for parents to look for their kids at the cemetery. That when wives are wondering where their husbands went after work, that you don't see a bunch of them driving around the cemeteries, right? I don't think when Stace says, I'm going to run home for a quick lunch, and she doesn't return right away, like, hmm, maybe I should go look for her at the cemetery. Like, that, that just doesn't make sense to go and look for somebody who is alive at the cemetery. Because if you're looking for somebody who's alive, you don't go to a place where there are dead things. They're, they, what you're looking for isn't meant to be there. And in the same way, if you're looking for life, if you're looking for abundant life in the here and now, amongst what God's word calls dead, I want to tell you this morning, you won't find it. Because it is not meant to be there. Now, every single one of us at times in our lives, we have looked to things to provide what they have never promised and they cannot produce because they were never meant to. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, how often have we looked to security and money? How often do we look for belonging in social media, our value in our occupation, to people for a sense of purpose? And what we're really looking for isn't meant to be there. And it's just like you're not going to start a diet at a gas station. Like you may go there and you find some food, but what you're really looking for isn't meant to be there. Right? I don't know if we realize the silliness of this, but, but here's what happens. We keep going to the same things, looking, searching. We keep going to the same places, looking and searching for something that we are not going to find in those things and those places. We think if this job doesn't give me the value that I'm looking for, I will just find another job. Or we think if this casual relationship doesn't fulfill me like I need to be fulfilled, then I will just go to the next relationship. And maybe the problem isn't a job. Maybe it's not another relationship. Maybe it is in what we are looking to. Maybe it's in what we are looking for. And it's not meant to be there. It's not meant to be there in those things. Now, here's what I, I really find interesting is when it comes to the men or the angels that are speaking to the women in the scriptures is they're very generous 
and yet you also get like this hint of sarcasm amongst the angels. They're like, you know what? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? They, they were being generous in their question. Because the truth is, the women weren't looking for the living amongst the dead. They were looking for the dead amongst the dead. And the reason why they were looking for the dead amongst the dead is because they had settled for something dead. And so the second question I have for you this morning is, have you settled? Where have you in your life settled for something that is dead, for dead things, for dead situations? Listen, Luke chapter 23 verse 55 says this, the women who had come from Jesus with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. That word saw in the Greek means that they beheld it. To behold something means that you hold it and you look closely at it, that you inspect it, that you perceive it, that all of your senses are involved in what you are looking at, that you are contemplating everything that is taking place. And so you've got to understand that when the women were caught up in the situation, what they did is they went to the grave, to the tomb where dead things go, and they contemplated the deadness of the situation. That deadness got so inside of them that it says they went home and they prepared. They prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment because these were good Christians, good followers of Jesus. They, they were still obedient. Don't miss that. They were still good Christians, obedient and, and believed in Jesus. They rested on the Sabbath. And then chapter 24, verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. And these women got so caught up in the situation. They got so caught up in what they could see, in what was visible. They got caught up in how it affected their emotions. It was tangible. What they experienced was real. It was real. There's, there's no question. Everything that took place around them was really happening. But what took place is they dwelt, they saw, they beheld, they contemplated, they perceived. They dwelt upon what took place in the natural rather than lean into what they were taught would be supernatural. So rather than rest in faith, it says they went to work preparing. Preparing their future based upon settling for a dead situation. If there was ever such a thing as dead works, it is the work of burying yourself in a dead situation. Because when you do that, essentially what you're saying is, I'm just going to put my head down and deal with it. We're just going to learn to live with it because we have chosen to settle, to settle in a place you were never meant to be. 
not only do we sometimes get caught up looking for things, looking for something in things that were never meant to be, but we find ourselves in places we were never meant to be. The question the angels asked, why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, if you read that, in their generosity of asking the question, you might think they were looking for the wrong thing, and that is true. But the rest of that question says, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you, followers of Jesus, looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you, women of God, looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you, who are supposed to be a people of faith, looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you here? Why are you here? They shouldn't have been there. But sometimes what happens if we're not careful as obedient Christians is that in consistently looking for life amongst dead things, it leads us to places that we were never meant to be. I mean, you can look at certain relationships in your life and think, how did I get here? And the truth is, you were never meant to be there. You can look at your bank account, and you might say, how in the world did we get here? And the truth is, you were never meant to be there. You can look at any mess in your life, and you might think, how did I get here? And the truth is, you were never meant to be there. But the problem is, all too often what happens is you settled. You decided to settle into your dysfunction. You decided to settle into your dead situation. How often when facing challenging circumstances, rather than move forward in faith, do we choose to accept our present reality and prepare to settle in to a dead situation. Sometimes I, I question my own life in different areas. You know, this comes with, with health issues. Years ago, I started having health issues in my early 30s in a certain area of my life. And, and so in those early days, man, I prayed like crazy. I would have my family pray when there was prayer up in front of the church, I would go up and I would, I would get prayer and I would try and, 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 and just have that faith to believe that something was going to change. I flew to Africa and the elders in the church in Africa, if anybody's going to pray, you want those guys to pray for you. And they prayed over me and, and I was desperate for prayer. Like I just want something to change. I want something to change. And you know what happened? It took years, but eventually that health problem went away in my life. And, you know, I, give, I gave God glory for it and thanked him. And then, you know, a few years go by and that same health problem is back again. And it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And what it does when that happens is, is it robs the joy out of me. It robs the hope from me. And so what takes place? 
sometimes I don't wonder if rather than continue to go forward for prayer or to pray for myself, I just decide, you know what? What do I need to do to live with it? And I make changes in my life to work around the dead situation that I'm stuck in. And we do that in all sorts of areas in our life. When we begin to lose purpose, when we begin to lose joy, when we begin to lose hope, instead of wanting more, instead of believing that we are created for more, that Jesus says, I came to give you life and abundant life, what happens instead is we will often choose to settle in and make the most of it. But I want you to know that is not the Easter message. While we may go through incredibly challenging times and feel like we're going to have to settle into a dead situation, you have to know that's not where we are meant to be. And that is not the message of the angels that was given to the women. The third question this morning that I have for you is, do you remember? Do you remember? Because that's what the angels asked the women, to, to snap them out of their, their way of thinking, out of their way of actions, out, out of their way of potentially future living. Do you remember? In verse 6, he says, man, he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you? Like, listen, this isn't just do you remember, right? But they go into some detail. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words, and it changed their direction. Now, listen, though they may have heard the prophecies of old about the coming Messiah, though they have heard the words from Jesus himself in the midst of their mess, they had to still be reminded of his message. Because what happens in our lives? All too often, we allow what we see. We allow what we feel to cause us to forget what we know God's word says is true. And though it may seem like it's natural, it's reality, it's not the supernatural nor God's reality. The enemy wants us to forget. He wants us to focus on dead things. But do you remember? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Is it enough? Like, listen, these guys... Have you ever been be reminded by somebody, probably your spouse, and they're like, do you remember? But typically it's not like just do you remember. Do you remember how when we were here and we were doing this and they give all sorts of details that go with the remembering question? Like it's not enough to just say, do you remember? But he says, they say, do you remember how? Like, like how he told you. The tone in which I told you. 
how I said it, what we were talking about. And then it wasn't just how he told you, but while he was still with you in Galilee. Like, there's deep, like, I'm trying to drive this home to you. Do you not remember what was said? That's what's being said here by the angels. Do you remember? You know, the Apostle Paul, he not only preached the good news to the Gentile nations and saw thousands if not millions of people indirectly come to the Lord and built up churches all around the modern world at that time frame. But in his letters that he would write to those churches to encourage them, you know what he constantly had to do? Remind them of the resurrection of their Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, Paul writes to the church, and he's reminding them, since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Like, we're not dead any longer. We died with Christ, now we can live with him. We are sure of this. Say sure. There's some certainty. There's no question. There is no doubt. We are sure of this. Because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves. So you Christians, you followers of Jesus, you who profess, who profess to have faith in him, should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. No sin can have hold over my life. And alive to God through Christ Jesus. Is it enough? And listen. Listen to the reminder that the angels give. It's no casual reminder. There's, I believe, some passion and excitement in that reminder. I really feel like what they said was, don't you remember? Like, come on, somebody. You came here looking for Jesus in the wrong place. You came here from a wrong place in your heart. You came here from a wrong place in your faith. You settled because you came here looking for a dead man. You came here looking for a funeral, but he's not here. He is alive, and the funeral has been canceled. And sometimes we need a good reminder with some passion and excitement. Like, we need to take the time to remember God's word. We need brothers and sisters in Christ around us who will remind us this is his word and this is what it says. And though this may seem like your reality right now, that's not true. And there is something greater and there is something better that is beyond what you're currently facing. We need to be reminded that Jesus is the dead whisperer. He is the grave conqueror that he is the life giver, that he said, I am not the God of the dead, but of the living. His death is your glory, and his resurrection is your life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul writes to the church, and he says, listen, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Do you remember this? In the midst of your struggles, of your mess, of your situation, of whatever challenge you're going through, do you remember that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that we are here celebrating today, the same thing that he did lives inside of you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it says he will, not he might, 
He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember the times that God's word has spoke to you? Do you remember the times that God himself has spoke to your hearts? Do you remember what he has, has brought you to? Do you remember what he has brought you through? Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember who he is? Do you remember? And if you do remember, how does that affect you? How does remembering cause you to respond? Which is my final question. What is your response? Is it enough? What is your response? Verse 9, it says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Somebody say nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What's your response? The response at first is, is the women were puzzled. The disciples believed it to be nonsense. And it made Peter ponder. Can you imagine those poor women? This is a side note. Can you imagine those poor women? They, like, think that what they're doing is obedient to the Lord. They even took off the Sabbath, and then they run to the grave of Jesus. And there's these angels, men, and they think the women, they're like, what are you doing looking for the living amongst the dead? What are you doing here? Like, to the angels, what the women were doing was nonsense. You guys are looking with your natural eyes. Don't you know that Jesus didn't function in the natural, that what he did was supernatural? What you're doing right now is nonsense. Those poor women, they're puzzled. They run to the disciples, and they go to the men that are gathered around, and they're like, listen, here's what happened. You wouldn't believe the supernatural experience that just took place, and those men are sitting there thinking, you guys are nonsense. Because they're stuck looking in the natural. And the women are like puzzled. Like, we, we can't do any good here. We go to these angels and these men tell us nonsense. We go to these guys over here and nonsense. Like, now wonder the women were puzzled, right? The men thought it was nonsense. And Peter just began to wonder about it. He's like wondering. These people were followers of Jesus. Like most of you sitting here this morning, they knew the scriptures, they heard his word, they believed in his promises, but when they heard about the resurrection, did it really end up changing anything in their lives at first? How often do we hear the story about Jesus' resurrection and it really changes anything? For some of you, what it might change in your life is that you decided to come to church today. 
For some of you, it might have caused you to wear some nicer clothes today. I'm not picking on what you wear. But we all dress up for Easter. Does it really change anything? You've heard it a thousand times. and Does it really ever shift anything in your life? So if you're not careful, it just becomes the next thing we do on Easter. That's what we do. We go to the church. Resurrection. Yay, Jesus. Next. And my fear is that too many people who say they believe get stuck living pre-resurrection lives in a post-resurrection world. Puzzled because you're looking for life in dead places. Settling for dead situations because believing for a miracle becomes nonsense. Wedged in the wonder of what-ifs because you need to be reminded of his word. What is your response? Is it enough? 1934, there was a young boy, 12-year-old boy, by the name of Claude Eli. Claude Eli grew up in the Appalachians. He was diagnosed with tuberculosis. The doctors told Claude and his parents that he was going to die, a young boy. They sent Claude home. Young Claude would be in his bed sick for days upon days upon days, and one time his uncle brought him a guitar, hoping that Claude would learn to play it. Not only did Claude learn to play it, but he began to use it to sing worship songs to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One time the family gathered together in his bedroom, and they just went in there, to really seek the Lord and pray for his healing. And when they finished praying, it wasn't the parents, but young 12-year-old Claude himself that declared, I am not going to die. And he began to sing one of the songs that he wrote while he was sick and on his deathbed. That song would soon become an anthem amongst the Pentecostal people in the Appalachian Mountains. And instead of dying, Claude would live. He would go on to be a musician and a traveling evangelist. He influenced the roots of, of much of the music that we listen to today. The song that he wrote about his situation and, and the hope of being raised because Jesus was raised. His hope in Jesus wasn't first ever recorded by him. In fact, it was never recorded by him. But it was recorded by various artists throughout all of history. 1942, a guy named Bozy Sturdivant, doesn't really even matter his name, recorded young Claude Eli's song. It began to be sung all around the world in different places, in different languages, by various artists. And in 2003, it was one of the last recordings that Johnny Cash would ever make 
before he died. That song was released on his album after he had passed away in 2010. It influenced a young country girl whose daddy was a country star. Her name was Molly. And in 2019, she would rewrite some of the lyrics to reflect her story. And she said the revision that she put into it was her personal testimony. It was the song of her life, of her overcoming fear and shame. And she, she writes these words, steeped in the reality of Jesus and what he has done for me. This is an anthem for anyone who is ready to follow Jesus and walk out of the graves in their daily life. This is a testimony of faith, a song for those who are ready to shake off the victim mentality and stand up in the truth of who they really are. How will you respond? Here's a song that is the post-resurrection story of a young boy named Claude Eli who responded by playing worship music to his Savior on his deathbed. Revised by the post-resurrection story of a gal named Molly Skaggs who chose to respond by overcoming fear and shame through the love of her Savior, Jesus Christ. And the question this morning, what is your post-resurrection story? going to sound like is the resurrection enough